The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride. Org, otherwise known as BPI, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. on ACB Media One and shortly after on all your major podcast catchers. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. Lovers, the lovers, the dreamers, the dreamers, and me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Pride Connection. I am Anthony Corona, Vice President of Blind LGBT Pride International. It's been a while since I sat as host of the show, but I am very excited to be here, not only because um, I love hosting, but um, because I am also very excited to be on BPI's revamped advocacy committee. I am joined today by the co-chairs. There's going to be so much work that we needed not one, but two chairs. Gabriel lopez Cafati and Tristan Snyder. Hey, guys. Hello. We've got a lot to get into, but it is the holiday season. And our president, Leah Gardner, wanted to spread a little holiday message for us. So welcome to Pride Connection or welcome back to Pride Connection. It's been a while for you too, Leah, huh? It has. It has been a while since I have been present on this program and uh, I just wanted to stop in and say happy holidays to everybody. I'm currently recovering from a really (laughs) substantial Thanksgiving. I've got the uh, post-Thanksgiving food hangover today and uh, I hope that all of you enjoyed a um, wonderful Thanksgiving with friends and family, though I do know that the holiday times can be hard for many of us. And I hope that if any of you are having a difficult time, that you will reach out through our channels, our WhatsApp group, our discuss list. I know that ACB community is hosting some holiday chats. I can tell you firsthand that when life is difficult, I think the holidays can be a a real challenge to get through because there's an expectation that we are joyous. And sometimes life just doesn't afford us that opportunity just due to circumstances. So I just wanted to shout out to everybody who may be having a tough time this holiday season and say that BPI is a community and we care and we are always here for anyone that wants to reach out and talk, chat, just give us a shout out. We we definitely see ourselves as an extended family here at BPI. So I want to transition into what we will be discussing today, which is advocacy. And um, I'm going to leave it to the advocacy committee co-chairs, Tristan Snyder and Gabriel lopez Cafati, and our vice president, Anthony Corona, to talk about what is forthcoming 
in 2024. This is going to be a banner year in terms of advocacy. There is a tremendous amount going on this coming year with legislative efforts meant to marginalize the GLBTQ plus community. There is, of course, a presidential election, which I think has a lot of us nervous. And there are many congressional elections as well coming up in 2024. And of course, in terms of BPI and ACB, the national convention this year is in Jacksonville, Florida, which is a hornet's nest of legislative draconian efforts that have been introduced and in many cases passed by the Florida legislature. So in order to combat that, make a statement about it, and dedicate ourselves to advocating and resisting against these measures, BPI will be holding a rally on July 8th, 2024 at the National Convention. So I'm going to turn it over to the Advocacy Committee to explore all of the different prongs of the advocacy effort in 2024. And um, I wish everybody a safe and peaceful holiday season. Well, Madam President, before you jump off completely, let's put you on the spot for a a moment. If you um, feel so kind as to share with us, you recently made a pretty big life decision. And I think that some of that decision also focused on the idea of advocacy and where, shall I say, your vote might count more. Yeah. So for context, for people that do not know, I've actually lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for the past 21 years. And um, I made the decision recently to move to Florida. I mean, I have to say politically, I had it really good in the Bay Area. My representative in my district was Eric Swalwell. And as far as I'm concerned, He's one of the best uh, House Democratic members, I think, that we have right now. My vote doesn't quite have as much impact, I think, in the Bay Area because it's an extremely progressive part of the country. And for a multitude of reasons, about a month ago, I actually made the move to Florida. I live now in the Miami area, which is a pretty liberal part of the state of Florida. It's not like living in Tallahassee. However, both U.S. senators representing Florida are definitely not people that I would choose to represent me. Neither is the House congressional representative here in this particular part of Florida either. And so I am feeling that My presence as a Democrat and my vote hopefully will make a difference. We can talk about how disgusting and unconscionable a lot of the laws being passed and in their written stages are in Florida. But just talking about how bad things are and not actually taking steps to resolve the situation perpetuates it. So I'm one person who is going to add my Democratic vote to Florida politics. And I feel like I'm, I'm making some degree of effort because let's face it, I love the weather in Florida, not that not the hurricanes. I'm not looking forward to that in the evening. And it was in the high 70s. I am not going to allow a lot of political nonsense to take that opportunity away from me to be in a climate that I find 
absolutely to be paradise. So I'm not going to allow this state and the powers that currently control it to wrench that away from me just because of who I am. I feel like I've got to bring some woke back into this state. That makes a great transition because we have had the opportunity already as as an organization to have the conversation. What does it mean for us to be boots on the ground in Florida? And we want to reassure everyone again. I think we've done a good job up to this point, but we want to reassure everyone again that whatever your personal choice as far as coming to Florida and being part of our speaking demonstration slash rally is your personal choice. It, it is respected. It is understood. It will never be questioned or, or you will not be made to feel anything negative about your personal choice. But we are asking those that feel that they have that drive for advocacy to be a part of what we'll be doing in July. But let's take a couple of steps back. Gabriel, you're pretty good at, at giving us a an overview. So, you know, we've had the town hall, we've had discussions with the parent organization, et cetera. What um, led to BPI's decision to be in the space of we're putting this rally together in Jacksonville? Well, thanks, Anthony. And uh, it's a pleasure to co-host not only this episode, but the advocacy committee with Tristan. And thanks, Leo, for those words. The timeline of events was that, um, first of all, Jacksonville has been contracted with ACB for a few number of years now. As we all know, the pandemic kind of moved everything forward. Uh, my first thought when we started talking about um, having a convention in Florida this year and we started hearing a lot of concerns was, okay, first of all, it, it was something that was already done. And it was secured and signed. Contracts were in place since years ago. So let's figure out a way in which we can still make this happen, make people feel safe, and still make a statement. So our disagreement with the way in which the Florida legislator and the governor of Florida have been taking our state towards a direction that does not favor us as a minority or any other minority for that purpose or any other human with a level of of dignity so we started these conversations we started hearing everyone out and we started collecting the concerns of people our uh, transgender members and friends and uh, everyone in general who felt uh, unsafe or who felt not happy spending dollars to a state like florida so we started the conversations with the parent organization. ACB has been uh, very open, uh, allowing BPI to lead these conversations and allowing us to, or act, actually working with us, collaborating, asking for our input and collaboration for us to kind of set the tone of how we should handle this. And uh, obviously that took us directly to the point where everything's going to happen, which is Jacksonville. And we started uh, researching and sharing the fruits of those research and, and people started realizing how progressive Jacksonville is and how diverse of a city it is and how anti the whole draconian set of legislations and uh, stance that the governor and the leg Florida legislature are taking Jacksonville is. Jacksonville is staunchly opposed uh, and they're fighting. They're fighting against the legislator and the governor and uh, we decided that it would Actually, combined with the fact that ACB would have had to pay a ridiculous attrition fee, 
close to $400,000 to cancel the contract. It, it made no sense to not come to Jacksonville, but it actually made more sense to come to Jacksonville and have our voice heard and make a stronger statement by coming here, by telling these people in power that we're not afraid, that we are here, and as long as we are able to secure uh, safety measures for our members, family, friends who are coming to Jacksonville, we will be here and we will not be silenced. That led us to collaborations and conversations with the mayor's office. Shout mayor, out to Democratic Mayor Donna Deegan. Yes, and Dr. Uh, Ahmed Purvez, who is the first in that position because uh, Mayor Deegan created this position as soon as uh, she came into office, which is the uh, Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the mayor's office. And uh, both of them have been completely open and completely collaborative. We actually already met in person. Anthony has been having lots of communication via phone and email with uh, Dr. Perverse. This is one of the biggest prongs of advocacy for the committee in 2024 is collaborating with the Convention Planning Committee of BPI in making this rally a success and including not only uh, folks from the LGBTQ plus community, but African-Americans, women, uh, Latinos, etc. Everyone who feels that they identify themselves with the mission and what the rally is uh, looking to accomplish. Anyone can join us. Anyone who feels that this is necessary to make our voice heard. You don't have to be part of any of the groups that I mentioned. You can be part of many more groups. You can be whatever, as long as you feel that this is necessary and that this message needs to go out. You're more than welcome. And we'll be talking lots about it here tonight and as we move forward, starting in January, this prong of the activities of the Advocacy Committee is just going to take off with a lot of work and a lot of excitement. Well, Gabriel, I feel like you have slightly buried the lead here because you did talk about the wonderful efforts that have been made on behalf of uh, the affiliates that feel especially targeted by these fascist attempts to turn Florida into a model of what some conservative Republican MAGA people would like to see the whole country turn into. Um, but we had a before before even we got to the mayor, there was another person who came in yes. and was willing to have a town hall with BPI where our members could express their feelings and ask Absolutely. questions. Um, and she, this wonderful Florida representative, was there to talk with us and uh, bring her perspective as someone who goes into the trenches every day and has to deal with these little fascist personalities. Yes, folks, full disclosure, we have worked with Representative Anna Escamani in other hats that we wear as part of the Florida Council of the Blind. We did a, um, an advocacy legislative program in our year, you know, yearly convention, and we were so impressed by her drive, her humanness, it really resounds, and you're going to hear from her directly in just a few moments, it, it really resounds how every one of us is human first. And we have to decide for ourselves where our advocacy efforts lie and where in comfort we are. She was very understanding. What I loved was she was very, very understanding of those who felt like they wouldn't feel safe 
Um, they may not be march on the ground activist type. And that really impressed me as well. So Tristan, why don't we run some of the sound from Anna Eskamani, and then we'll come back and talk about advocacy in general for a few minutes. That's a great idea. And I just want to uh, let people know that so you will not be hearing their voices. However, you will hear what I created of Anna Eskamani's comments. It's a nice piece of her speaking and addressing the concerns that they had. So when we say at BPI that we are providing a safe space, we mean it. But I felt that as did uh, Gabriel and Anthony, that it was important to give you um, an understanding of what she said, because those comments uh, were not deemed private. So that's what you're going to hear. Hi, everyone. My name is Anna Eskamani. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, for those who do not know me, I am a state house representative representing District 42 in the Orlando area. I'm the daughter of immigrants. I was born and raised in Orlando. My parents came from different parts of Iran. Uh, but met each other working at the same donut shop in Orlando. Um, I went to Orange County Public Schools, um, the University of Central Florida. And like so many of our families, uh, we had a great deal of just economic challenges because my parents did not come from wealth. Uh, we struggled a lot where my parents worked multiple jobs to make ends meet. And then as we were coming more economically secure, my mom was actually diagnosed with cancer and and unfortunately, she passed away in 2004 when I was just 13 years old. And like so many here, you know, when you were faced with these type of challenges, these life altering challenges, um, you have a choice of how you want to approach it and, and how you're going to find power in pain. And for me, I decided to honor my mom's life through act empowering others. So I got really involved um, with different community service and first was a theater kid when I was in high school and um, love, love the arts and a big advocate for arts and culture funding here in Florida. And then um, when I got to University of Central Florida, I started getting more involved in campus organizing and um, first with the environmental movement, then with international human rights and eventually met the College Democrats in the summer of 2010. I got really involved in just progressive politics. Um, I ended up working at Planned Parenthood before I ran for office. My Planned Parenthood story like that of uh, so many started as a patient when I needed access to contraception. I walked into a clinic when I was 18 years old and left um, with the ability to make decisions for me and my body. And that inspired me to help others do the same to the point where uh, I would work at Planned Parenthood for six years, making the brave decision to run for office as a first time candidate back in 2018. We flipped our seat from red to blue. We have kept it that way. And I'm, I'm now approaching my my very last election for the state house as we do have term limits in Florida. So um, 2024 will be my last year running for the state house. Now it brings me to where we are today. You know, Florida has always been uh, ground zero for a lot of extremism and it, and it's sad to say, but we are seeing it get worse and worse because of people um, like Governor Ron DeSantis, like former president Trump and others who have embedded themselves into the political landscape here and have really exploited politics for their own political gain. I got elected the same year Ron DeSantis did. So I've seen it firsthand, just his political motivations hurting all of us. And of course, as he uh, runs for president, he has really, really sought his eyes on attacking the LGBTQ plus community. Pulse nightclub is in my district. So the issues that intersect with equality, with civil rights um, are incredibly important to me. And as we've seen attacks on trans people, 
attacks on LGBTQ plus folks as a whole, on immigrants, on reproductive rights, on public education, on unions. You know, it has been myself and members of the Democratic caucus who have held the line with with honestly not a lot of resources. Right. Because not only have we seen a lot of divestment from Florida that has left us to unfortunately uh, be in a super minority in legislature, but we've also, of course, see a lot of folks leaving Florida which I totally understand why. I mean, people need to take care of themselves or loved ones. And if you can't access your health care here, or if you don't feel safe here, I'm never going to tell someone, um, you know, where, where if they have the ability to, to leave, um, to stay, right, in that environment. But I will say that, that we need people to stay. We need people to help us fight back. We need the resources. We need the, the voices. And, and we can't uh, flip the legislature or, or, you know, flip the governor's mansion uh, without people committed to helping us do that. And so I will say, um, you know, for, for events that have been canceled in Florida, you know, candidly, it's, it's, it's helpful in making a point, but at the same time, it, it doesn't, it, it also hurts us, right? Because we're not able to uh, benefit from those who are investing, especially in our democratic cities, uh, resources to fight back. And I will say that from Orlando into Tampa and now Jacksonville, we have democratic municipalities that are challenging what's happening out of state government who are helping to amplify progress and are also focusing on ordinances to protect people. Um, here in Orlando, we do have local ordinances to, to ban discrimination uh, based on sexual orientation, gender identity. We, of course, um, pride ourselves in having resources for people who live with disabilities. Uh, we are working with our city on community violence intervention programs. And there was a huge win in Jacksonville with Donna Deegan, uh, the, not only the first woman mayor of Jacksonville, but of course, uh, the first Democrat, you know, to take that scene a long time. So, so I'll step back. Um, I'm sure folks have questions. And unfortunately, I can only stay for maybe another 10 minutes. Um, but just want to give that, that background, that insight, and offer whatever perspective I can as, as folks figure out and debate and discuss if you know, if it's, if it's, if coming to Florida makes sense for you and your organization. So, so as noted, you know, one of the policies that Florida, one of the five anti LGBTQ plus bills that Florida passed this last year is the bathroom restrictions. Now I will say because of our advocacy, we were able to narrow the scope of that bill to not apply to any private establishments, but it is being applied to public establishments. Um, now with that said, the bill itself does not carry any criminal charges um, and a random person cannot be the enforcement. So for example, we've seen some videos online in different states where, you know, random bigoted people are attacking others in bathrooms saying you can't be here. Um, the law does not, does not allow for that. The law, the way it's currently written, and, and I suspect by the time y'all were to come to Florida, it would be, it would be challenged in court because right now we are in the process of identifying plaintiffs that we can challenge it. Um, the law itself says it has to be a, a manager or a supervisor. Um, and when it comes to public spaces, it is requiring universities and schools to create their own rules, which again, it can't just be a, a random person that tells you that you have to leave. It would be, has to be some sort of, you know, manager, uh, established authority figure, if you will, that actually works for that entity. Um, so with that said, you know, obviously still a really, really bad law. And definitely something to be concerned with, but I will say it, it is, it, there's a lot of misinformation out there of what it actually applies to, right? So it is, it is public spaces, 
and it can't just be any person that enforces it. And so that does narrow its scope a little bit and narrows how it's enforced. And it does not include any criminal charges. It would, you know, they would, they would, they would have the ability to ask someone to leave. And if they don't leave, then of course I can get escalated to where law enforcement may be involved. But uh, I, especially if you're going to be within large metropolitan areas, much like other states, our metropolitan areas tend to be much more progressive, you know, compared to like uh, Brevard County or some of these more like random counties that are, um, you know, more uh, rural or kind of spread out. Um, so I think that it's a fair concern. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, downplay that. I think it's a fair concern for safety. Um, but I will say as advocates, like we're planning litigation, we're also planning larger campaigns that we saw in North Carolina, for example, years ago. So it is something that we're actively engaged with and, you know, hoping to uh, get a stay on or at the very least, you know, educate our allies to be, to be, to be proactive in protecting folks who use the restroom that matches their gender identity. So I have a few thoughts to that. So one, you know, a, a few months back, I attended um, a, a national conference hosted in Orlando focused on midwifery. And so the main focus was reproductive rights, reproductive issues. And of course, you know, Florida having passed a six-week abortion ban and attacking LGBT plus people, um, that was top of mind for this organization because they focused on not just reproductive issues, but um, equality, inclusivity, health disparities. So they integrated into their event, um, not just a list of small businesses in the area that are either queer owned or queer affiliated or queer supportive, um, encouraging people to spend their money at those restaurants and those those businesses but they also hosted um two fundraisers for local nonprofits that center their work on supporting communities that are impacted so in the context of um uh the mid the midwives they were supporting um, zebra coalition which is one of our local nonprofits here that provides housing and uh community support to lgbtq plus youth yeah. So I think there's there's always the intersection, you know, on the on the nonprofit advocacy side. I'm not even talking about political, but it's on the nonprofit side, right? To like help raise awareness for you know the local supportive businesses alongside local organizations, and then part of that too, you know, is is hire vendors that are from these communities, right? So Planned Parenthood just had a youth organizing summit yesterday, and so in the evening we had drag show performances, and these are you know paid drag performers, right? So I think there's also a lot you can do even in a state as hostile as Florida in, in helping to lift up and identify, you know, those communities that, I mean, that they don't have the resources to leave. Right. And they also maybe don't want to leave because they want to help make Florida better, but you can invest in them in different ways. The political question, um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I actually am in doing a work session. I, I was just in a work session with, uh, the Florida Democratic Party's new executive director who is moving to Orlando shortly um, told me I was, I was about to hop on this call. So, I mean, like we have a lot, a lot of great connections and, and partnerships. Um, you know, if it's summer of next year, obviously we have very competitive elections in 2024 for different state house seats, state Senate seats and congressional seats. So I would suspect there'd be a lot of great partnerships based on local races happening in your area, whether it's, um, you know, helping do phone banking, maybe um, like you said, demonstrations, you know, going to different, lawmaker offices even because you know there's going to be a mix of republicans and democrats anywhere in the state of florida um with their offices nearby so there, there, there could be some really great opportunities for partnership there as well well when it intersects with lgbtq plus issues i would say hands down equality florida 
and Equality Florida has a C3 arm and they have their, their C4 and their PAC. So I feel like, you know, Equality Florida, they're the largest civil rights and, and LGBTQ plus led organization in the legislature by far. Like they're, they're, they have, they have two lobbyists who are in the legislature. They're working lawmakers very closely. Um, they actually have two of their staff members running for office right now. Um, so I think on the political side, Equality Florida, without a doubt. And then if you're thinking about like service providers, and there's a lot of organizations, kind of depends on where you're physically located, because I would recommend supporting local organizations. Um, but they, there are a lot of awesome uh, LGBTQ plus centered service providers as well. You know, hypothetical, you are um, in a public space, right? So maybe it's, I don't know, a, a city hall or like yeah. right, an airport. Um, and use the restroom. And so, you know, it, it would, it would basically be asking you to leave. Uh, and if you did not leave, then they potentially would trespass you. Um, so it's not an arrest because there's nothing in the statute that says you would be arrested. It is a, a trespass. And of course, it also kind of depends on, uh, you know, if, if it gets escalated, which is always a real fear. And so, I, I think that's incredibly valid. And I, and I do think that having uh, a conversation, for example, with the airport in advance would be a value and something that I mean, we could do or another local lawmaker could do. Um, candidly, I have not heard like the Orlando National Airport putting into place any rules about this. Um, a lot of our airports, you know, they're kind of private public partnerships. They have a lot of private contracts. Um, so not everything is publicly operated, even though it's a public building. So that also creates a little bit of nuance there. Um, but I highly doubt our airports uh, want to really implement this law in a strict way. So with that said, you'd want, I would recommend a conversation, you know, with whatever airport most folks be flying into. I would have a, a, a serious conversation and see what their commitments are to safety in that regard safety needs to be paramount and needs to be confirmed, right? And that can also take shape in, if, especially if you're going to Jacksonville, meeting with the mayor's office, right? Like you really have to get those firm commitments from people um, that your safety concerns are being met and that, you know, everyone is is aligned on that front because there's really nothing you can do to compensate for that, that concern, right? Um, but to your point of like an advocacy ask and just like having that footprint, you know, I, I think a part of it is 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 you want to highlight those champions that are especially, you know, folks like me who are in these trenches that can't do it alone. Um, and in Jacksonville, you have a lot of great champions. I mean, not just Mayor Donna Deegan now, but you have Senator uh, Tracy Davis. You have Representative Angie Nixon, um, who has uh, both have shared stories of uh, either th their LGBTQ plus loved ones or themselves as two black women being impacted by these policies in Florida. Um, and now there's the potential debate that the congressional seat that was eliminated because of Republican gerrymandering in Jacksonville might be restored. So there could be an opportunity to get a Democratic seat back in the Jacksonville area by by next by next election cycle. So uh, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities to, you know, to to make bold statements. Right. And to partner with some of these elected officials and see what their needs are, whether it's, um, uh, you know, helping you know to do some sort of. Um, you know, field activity like a phone bank or a text bank or something like that but to also consider um you know any type of uh, press conference with them you know advocating 
uh, you know, as as national partners against what's happening in Florida and in support mm. of these elected officials. Um, I mean, you're literally going to be there in the heart of campaign season. So it's hard for me to predict, you know, what could be available because we're not there yet. But I suspect there'd be a lot of opportunities for partnership. And, you know, we're happy to make those connections and, you know, make sure that um, uh, there's some good, some, some, some good ways to get earned media attention while also amplifying your your mission alongside um, the work happening in Florida to change the direction of the state and ensure every person has the freedom to be healthy, safe, and prosperous. So a part of the challenge is even with a strong message, if you don't have resources, nobody hears it, right? And I look at my campaign as an example. So my very first campaign cost $523,000 in just cash. That doesn't count the outside money that came in my race, doesn't count the volunteer hours are put in. And, and that, that race was very expensive because it was a competitive seat. It was a flip seat. And, and I spent most of that money on getting my message out, whether through TV, through digital ads, through field activities. So I, my first response is, even when you have a strong message, it doesn't cut through unless you have money and resources and people to have it cut through. Um, but with that said, I actually argue that Democrats, especially in the House caucus, the Democratic House, we have a strong message. You know, part of our framework is the freedom to be healthy, safe and prosperous. And we integrate that into all of our messages. We're taking back the word freedom. Uh, we're also using data to help guide us. For example, we are uh, leading the way to put abortion on the ballot. And I've already seen Republican polling on our language on abortion, and it is winning even among Republican women and, and Republicans as a whole. So part of it, too, is Democrats need to be we, we can't be afraid of our own shadow. We have to be willing to be aggressive on these issues and we have to frame it as issues of freedom taking that word back and integrating into our values. Um, And we have to be consistent about it. And so part of it's messaging trainings. You know, I host messaging trainings with my Democratic colleagues on abortion issues, on tax issues, on LGBTQ plus issues, because a lot of our members, they don't know how to talk about these issues and they might be good storytellers, but are not necessarily uh, uh, diligent in sticking to their message. And so I think a part of it too is, recruiting and training candidates to be that consistent and to not go mm-hmm. off that 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 stream of, of, of focus. Um, but again, if we don't have money, then nobody knows who you are. And that's like the harsh reality in Florida is in 2022, the funding deficit between Republicans and Democrats was $250 million. With a state the size of Florida, no one's going to hear our message, even if it is a good one, if we don't have money. So, you know, that's yeah. that's the reality. So, like, a lot of what we do every day, like, I have my big kickoff on September 5th. My goal is to raise a lot of money in that event because I need the money. Even for someone as effective as me, I'm not going to have the type of wins I've had if it's not for the resources I'm also raising. Um, and so, with that, I got to run. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for creating space. And... You know, whatever well, you all decide, it'll be a great decision because you have to trust yourselves and your teams to do that. But, you know, thanks for letting me offer the insight from Florida on the ground. Though there is no criminal penalty under the Florida restroom statute, we need to instead look to the criminal penalties under the Florida trespass statutes. The 2023 restroom legislation creates Section 553.865. It reads in part, B. A person who willfully enters for a purpose other than those listed in subsection, 6, a restroom or changing facility designated for the opposite sex at a public building and refuses to depart when asked to do so by an employee of the governmental entity for the public building 
that is within the governmental entity's jurisdiction commits the offense of trespass as provided in S. 810.08. Trespass is codified in Section 810.08, which reads, 1. Whoever, without being authorized, licensed, or invited, willfully enters or remains in any structure or conveyance, or, having been authorized, licensed, or invited, is warned by the owner or lessee of the premises, or by a person authorized by the owner or lessee, to depart and refuses to do so, commits the offense of trespass in a structure or conveyance. 2. a. Except as otherwise provided in this subsection, trespass in a structure or conveyance is a misdemeanor of the second degree, punishable as provided in S. 775.082 or S. 775.083. b. If there is a human being in the structure or conveyance at the time the offender trespassed, attempted to trespass, or was in the structure or conveyance, the trespass in a structure or conveyance is a misdemeanor of the first degree, punishable as provided in S. 775.082 or S. 775.083. So let's assume there is a human being in the structure as one would expect. Now we have a first degree misdemeanor. So again, let's go to the sentencing statute for this, which is section 775.082. This section reads in part, 4. A person who has been convicted of a designated misdemeanor may be sentenced as follows. A. For a misdemeanor of the first degree, by a definite term of imprisonment not exceeding one year. B. For a misdemeanor of the second degree, by a definite term of imprisonment not exceeding sixty days. She also said that there was no civil action allowed by the statute. This is true today, but let's turn back to the bathroom statute itself, again section 553.865, reading in part, B. Beginning July 1, 2024, the Attorney General may bring a civil action to enforce this section against any covered entity. The Attorney General may seek injunctive relief, and for any covered entity found to have willfully violated this section, the Attorney General may seek to impose a fine of up to $10,000. So, as of July 2024, even a building which does not wish to comply with the statute can be made to do so through civil penalty. Absolutely inspiring. Um, I want to thank Representative Eskamani. I'm sure she'll be listening to this. And, you know, again, full disclosure, she has been working behind the scenes, uh, giving us introductions to all of her Democratic colleagues throughout the state, giving us some intel on some of the more red colleagues that may not necessarily be as draconian as some of their peers. I hate to use that word, but and so thank you so much, Anna. Tristan Gabriel Talk to us about the importance of advocacy and, and what advocacy means, maybe personally first and for BPI as an organization. Um, let's start with Tristan. One of the phrases that I attempt to live by in terms of my own advocacy is none of us are free when one of us is chained. That means a lot to me. Full disclosure, I was raised Republican. I was raised as a Reaganite Republican by my parents. And I didn't feel like I had a stake in any kind of situation being a white male. Um, I felt like I was pretty safe, you know, when, when I was growing up. But then wake up to what politics were and what was happening in the country, particularly the I remember the in the early 90s, there was a resurgence of the pro-choice, pro-life debate 
and girls in my class in in middle school and high school getting real nervous and real upset. And I started to sort of say, well, you know what? You can't be telling people what to do with their bodies. You just can't. And then I started thinking about these ridiculous stances on, at that time, really the, the comments were primarily about the gay part of the LGBT community and and the AIDS epidemic. And that was a big wake up. So a lot of this stuff just sort of built and built and then culminated for me when I got out on my own as an adult and began to really, truly experience discrimination as a blind adult. And I started seeing how blind people were treated in the employment arena. Those of us with guide dogs were treated in public places and taxis and other places. And then as a person who didn't have a lot of money, as a person who would would be classified, I think, as a poor person, I realized how much discrimination there is against those with very little money. And between all of those things, I went from being, I would say, a center-right Republican as a child, Democratic Socialist, <laughs> on, the, on the left as an adult. And honestly, where I used to feel uncomfortable about where I was in life, that actually allowed me to feel empowered to advocate for myself and to advocate for my friends and to advocate for those who had less of a voice than I do as a white male. I may be gay and I may be blind, but I'm still a white man. And that means that my voice is heard just a tiny bit louder than perhaps some other people. And I consider it a duty to advocate where I can, where those voices are silenced. That's how I got here. You know, the, the big, huge you know, spark off was Donald Trump, of course, and his craziness about, you know, Mexicans being supposedly uh, rapists and, and the worst and ever, all that nonsense he, he spewed forth from his pie hole when he skated down the escalator. I saw the handwriting on the wall. I saw this guy coming in. And because I'm a student of history, it's kind of a hobby of mine. I was like, oh, my God, we are seeing the birth of a modern Mussolini. And I was shocked. That was a big wake-up call. That was huge. And I just went, okay, this is a battle now. And so I am overjoyed to be a co-chair of this committee. And and Ron DeSantis, or as I lovingly call him, Ron DeFascist, is Trump in a less charismatic yet smarter meat suit. That is who he is. <laughs> Trump has the cult leader personality. He can get people to follow him. Ron couldn't get a cup of pudding to follow his fingers, but he does have the intelligence and the political savvy to get it done when he is in command of a branch of government. So he's, in my opinion, on a legal level, on a legislative level, he is more dangerous than Donald in that way. Seeing what he's managed to accomplish in Florida with the abetting of Republicans, frankly, who are just willing to, I think enough of our listeners have probably heard you know, enough news stories to realize that the MAGA Republicans do not actually believe in democracy anymore. That's not a thing for them. They don't think that's a good idea as a, as a way to run government. They don't actually believe in pluralistic society, in a you know one person, one vote, everybody gets to make their choice, and whoever wins, that's who wins. They don't believe in that. They want a strong man to take over and fix things as they see it and make them happy. Uh, you know, soothe their fears that have frankly been ginned up by 
right-wing media organizations and, frankly, some left-wing media organizations who bear the responsibility for uh, ginning up fear for ratings. And that's what happens when you when you allow uh, the, the, the news to become a for-profit enterprise, as it has been. But that's a, that's a different conversation. I was not pleased when I realized that our convention was going to be in Florida. But Anthony and Gabriel talked me into a position where I feel like we have the opportunity to make an impact where uh, otherwise, if we had skipped out, if, if, if BPI, which we absolutely could have done if we wanted to, we could have said, yeah, you know what, yeah. we're going we're gonna to skip out. We're going to go to Puerto Vallarta or something and meet up there or whatever it is we were going to do. You know, we could have done that. But instead, we're going to be boots on the ground. We're going to show up. We're going to be in their faces as say, we are here. We are queer. We are black. We are people of color. We are women we are poor we are uh, any any marginalized community we are these people that ronda fascist has targeted and we are not going anywhere and you had better get used to it that is the message i, I want to take a moment before we hear from gabriel to address you know tristan just said and we definitely considered and that was part of what the town hall was about what is the best move forward for bpi I want to remind everyone it's been said many times, but, you know, listeners of Pride Connection may not necessarily be active members in our BPI conversations. Safety was paramount. Safety was first. How can we do this and ensure that our members are going to be okay? Having said that, we know that anything can happen. We cannot guarantee 100% safety. But the measures, and we'll be talking about those in a little while, that are going to be in place, I think, give a a, a nice strong blanket of a feeling of of being safe but florida is ground zero and it's going to have a lot of attention this coming year but it's not the only activism that we're going to work on it is just for the moment the spotlight because that is where the convention is this year and as gabriel said you know 2018 2019 whenever this these contracts were finalized Florida was not exactly the place that it is now. Gabriel, we've heard, you know, your origin story on past Pride Connections, but your perspective in, in the realm of advocacy is very strong. And it's, it's you have a, a drive and dedication similar to Tristan's. So walk us through what you know, being co-chair, you know, why do you, why did you feel so strongly about being co-chair and what advocacy looks like for you personally and, and for the organization for at least the next year? Interestingly enough, halfway through uh, my political views and standings is very, very similar to Tristan's because uh, growing up in Honduras, um, I grew up more part of a conservative, if you want to call a little bit more uh, privileged realm of society. And uh, and the um, affiliation was more with the um, conservative party, although in Latin America uh, until recently, uh, uh, you know, whether you call yourself a liberal or a conservative didn't mean much more than your the origin of the party. But I also grew up uh, hearing in Latin America what a great president Reagan was. But on the other hand, I also questioned many things like, you know, one of the most popular uh, neighborhoods that is like a model of uh, neighborhood that was supposed to be implemented 
uh, for um, middle class, uh, you know, working class families is called, and I and I never, you know, reflected on that fact. It's called uh, the neighborhood itself is called John F. Kennedy because it was built. the The project was not only the inception was not only something that came from the Kennedy administration, but was completely 100% founded by the Kennedy administration as an aid to a country uh, like Honduras. That that was the first thing that got me thinking. Uh, I had family, I still have family who live in the Kennedy neighborhood. And, um, and I started noticing certain things and certain things that as I went through law school in Honduras and I started taking philosophy and history of legislation and all of this, uh, all of these uh, classes that called for my personal reflection rather than just inheriting a, a political affiliation, I started questioning so many things. Obviously, fast forward moving to the U.S., I was still in between, you know, I, I was still not out and I was still not understanding how much political decisions around me would have impact in my personal life and that and, and the life of those who would eventually become my friends and, and family here in the U.S. Again, another, uh, you know, just like Tristan, for myself, another moment of immediate switch was 2016. Uh, obviously, I was so proud and so happy uh, January 30th of 2015 when I finally became a citizen of this nation that I now I'm privileged and honored to call home. And I immediately, uh, after the oath ceremony, I went uh, and they, 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 there were people saying, uh, anyone interested in registering to vote? And I was the only one there. I thought it was going to be, oh my God, that's going to be a huge line, but I don't care. I'm going to wait. And as soon as I walked into the room, there was the three tables, independent, Democrat, Republican, all of them empty. And they were like, well, you can register independent. And I'm like, no, no, I know where I'm going. <laughs> so I immediately went to the Democrats table. And um, again, 20, you know, all that year was for me before 2016, just very, you know, slightly kind of dipping my toes and kind of militant, but not as militant as I became in 2016. Uh, and some people are afraid of that word. I'm not afraid because I think militant just means that you're active, actively doing something, not just observing and commenting. So I became very active with the Democratic Party, and I actually worked for the Hillary campaign here in uh, South Florida, and um, obviously was devastated on that that dreadful November evening of 2016. Um, and from there on, you know, it's just been one thing after the other because the attacks against myself and my community, the different communities that I belong to, whether it be LGBTQ, Latino, so many African American. Uh, friends and family members that I've, uh, you know, forged strong bonds here in the U.S., women, it's everyone who has been affected uh, just kept fueling my passion to be more involved and to be an advocate. And as I stepped down from the presidency of BPI a year ago, I felt that the best place for me to continue the efforts on the side of BPI was to be part of the advocacy committee. Of course, I had a, a I, I spoke with uh, President Leah Gardner, and I say I'll do this only if I have someone with my same convictions, with my same passion, with my same drive for advocacy and social justice. And I said, uh, and by the way, I am not um, 
I'm not leaving it up for, because there's many of us here in BPI, but I wanted <laughs> the one co-chair, Tristan Snyder. What a great, what a great place to, <laughs> <Thanks for> that. <laughs> to <laughs> what a great place to reinvigorate a committee that is so vital to our core mission. One of the things that we, you know, as the leadership team, and, and I'm talking about the entire board, we identified over the last two years or so is that there are a few of us that are very, very passionate and can spend the time and, and energy until we're exhausted to be a part of committees, to be a part of movements, et cetera. But our membership may not necessarily have the same level of drive and passion. And so part of the the restructuring and the the new outlook is whatever time, whatever talent that you have to share with us, you know, it can be as little as two hours a month. But those two hours are going to be so important, collectively speaking. There's a lot of work to do for the organization in general. And there's a lot of work to be done for Jacksonville. We still have to actually plan convention activities beyond the rally and, and the things that we want to do, such as purveying businesses that are LGBTQIA plus owned and operated, um, seeing certain museums and things in the Jacksonville area, which is thankfully more progressive than most of the rest of the state. So, you know, if we were going to be in a space, uh, Leah joked about it earlier, you know, thank God it's not Tallahassee. I, I have to and echo those sentiments. If we were going to be in a space, Jacksonville was the space that would be most uh, friendly for us and and give us the support. And, and in a few moments, you're going to hear just how much support they're willing to give us. Before you move on, I want to echo your thoughts and give an analogy that might help some of our members and listeners to understand what we're really asking of you. And that is, if any of you are musically inclined, think of a choir. When you have a piece that is arranged where a choir has to hold a note for a very long time, yes. obviously humans have to breathe. So as a choir member runs out of breath, they know that the person next to them will hold that note while they take their breath. And then when that person runs out of air, the other person will stand and another person will hold the note and so on and so on so that the note is sustained indefinitely. And that is what we're asking of you with the two hour blocks of time that you might be able to commit, even if it's one hour on one day and one hour on another day, whatever it is, that is a sustainment. It is a it's like staggered breathing. It, it helps to keep the drive and the passion going indefinitely. If enough people do that. We will have the ability to sustain our advocacy efforts, in fact, any of our committee efforts, in a, in a much longer and more consistent and more sustainable way. So that, that's what I wanted to put into that. Absolutely. And I love that analogy. I love when you use it. It, it, it is absolutely perfect for this type of grassroots organization that we're a part of. Finishing that thought. I also implore everyone to pay attention when the press releases and the emails come through our internal discussion list and we ask for you to sign on, spend the five minutes to sign on or take, you know, 15 minutes to copy, paste and send it to your local and, and, and federal representatives be it a, you know, a protest letter or a, a letter of our statement to something happening across the country. 
take that, mm-hmm. take those moments and aid the organization that you give your talent, your time, your your money to. With leadership comes responsibility. All of us on this call and all of us on the board, we take the positions that you gave us very seriously. We put a lot of time and effort and work into it. But we can't sustain it the way we we would like to and the way you guys would like us to without a little bit of underlying support from the membership itself. And I do know that there are listeners who will be hearing this who are not currently members of BPI, but pay attention to what we're doing. And yes, we would absolutely love your $15 contribution for the year. But more importantly, that contribution is a number and demographics matter. And if you feel strongly that BPI is doing the kind of work that you support, then please become a member. What we are asking is minimal when it comes to grassroots organization participation, but the benefits are tremendous if we all just give a little bit of time and a little bit of attention. Tristan, talk to us about what you are looking for in advocacy committee members, because that is also a part of why we're here. We're we're seeking folks that want to actually be part of the committee and be part of the day-to-day workings. So when it comes to advocacy, my feeling is that we need people who can communicate effectively, who are good at messaging, at getting their, their point across, either in an argument or even just in a written statement. We need people who are good at networking, who are good at creating connections with others, especially in places where maybe they aren't the dominant voice. So people who are good at reaching out to other organizations and building bridges, people who are uh, good at finding events to go to in their local their local city or state or or whatever and, and and like just building a relationship with someone within that event space and people who can speak passionately about the topics that they truly care about that's what we're looking for we're looking for for effective communicators effective networkers and people who will when they say they're going to get a project done when they say they're going to go do something that they go ahead and follow through and do that thing because advocacy i think is one of those spaces where we must have people who are are willing to truly commit and not just bow out if if it's too scary um sometimes sometimes especially for introverts i totally understand that um it can be it can be a little nerve-wracking to get out there and get you know meet people or speak uh let's say you know we decided to have BPI have a pride, uh, have a little booth at, at the local pride festival or something or a table. Someone who's willing to stand and meet people and talk about who we are and why we do what we do. That's the kind of people we need. And if you're not a good speaker, but you're an excellent writer, yes, please come come join us and be, <laughs> be part of our uh, our group. You know, you can help craft press releases. How about if you're a good researcher? That's another group of people that we really need to appeal to. People who can do the digging and find the local legal situation, the legislative situation. Suppose we needed to organize an event and we need to get permits. Somebody who's, you know, people who could do that. People who can um, research what the state of hostility toward a certain group is or, you know, just people who are good with their Google. 
people who are willing to do that research and, and then send us what they find and summarize what they've found for us. Honestly, if anybody out there is a lawyer or a paralegal and you feel like you could lend your talents to us, it would be good to have a lawyer or a paralegal in our advocacy committee, at least one, if not more, because it is people who are comfortable and familiar with the law who can help us when we must advocate in the strongest possible sense for either our, our BPI members or our allies, where we feel that we must step in and lend our legal voice. So that's the kind of people that we are looking for, um, I think. And Gabriel, what... Well, Tristan, it, it's funny, as, as you were talking, I was saying, you know, I, I was going to say, oh, I'm going to mention this, and then, boom, you mentioned it. <laughs> and then I said, you know, it was like a chain. Uh, so great minds. I, I just Great minds echo... think alike, and so do ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also, like Anthony Love, uh, when you enlighten us with the uh, sustainability and, and the course analogy, because that's exactly the best way to talk about the effort that the advocacy committee is doing and BPI in general is we need your voice and and your voice doesn't necessarily mean uh, liter literally your voice. I, I also believe in, in the diversity of our community, not only in terms of race, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation, identity, Etc. You know the, the the more the more classic understanding of diversity, but I also believe in diversity, uh, introverts versus extroverts, or introverts and extroverts. You know how the work of, of both uh, can be valuable, or actually is valuable if put together and if put in the right places. Uh, and in like Kristen said, uh, uh, there you go, a choir and then a concert, and then we have a full symphony, uh, loud enough to make it impossible. For others to ignore. We're asking of you whatever you feel comfortable doing or bringing to, you know, if it's writing, if it's talking, if it's representing, if it's recording another Pride Connection, if it's um, like Tristan say, we need a lot of research. Tristan and I research a lot and we do a lot of analysis of the research that we that we find or that we encounter. So uh, if you give us more research in your in your specific areas, that is going to be a lot of good material for us to convert it into advocacy efforts, into actionable items. And right now, obviously, we've talked a lot about Jacksonville, but we're not forgetting any one of you living anywhere in this country or even in, uh, outside of this country. Obviously, we don't have so much power. In, in other places, we do have other members. We have members, you know, we are Blind Pride International, and we have members in other parts of the world. But we can help in any way, shape, or form with advice. We can also get your help if you live in a country like Canada, for example, where things seem to be moving much, much better in a more progressive, equitable, and, and social justice manner. There's a lot for everyone, wherever you are geographically, and and wherever you are within your 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 realm of comfort in what you want to do and what you want to bring everything is needed please keep in mind the big picture is 2024 is a very very big year for us uh, not only BPI uh, but in general for anyone who 
wants to secure our democracy and our democratic principles and that social justice that we all have and that we have inherited from from so many heroes let let us sustain like Tristan said that work that has been done by others and let us be that force that will not allow will not allow any fascism efforts or any fascism movements to destroy what we have accomplished and where we are let's not take it for granted and let's fight hard and advocate sustainably and unstoppably in 2024. We do not want to be on the sidelines in these fights. Yeah. Um, and, and it's important to think about when a child comes to you 20 years from now and asks, where were you? What did you do in the great struggle against fascism in the 21st century? Where were you? You don't want and to that tell brings us yeah. <laughs> that you stood aside. And that brings us to an important part um, of, of the process. And this is an election year. We referenced it moments ago. Most importantly, we have to always remind ourselves that our local elections count so much more than we give them credit for. You know, even the school board elections and, and the minor elections that people think, oh, it really doesn't matter who gets the job. It does matter. So when you encounter information about um, a race that's happening anywhere in in the United States or beyond. And you think that sharing that information with BPI for us to share it, please send it. There's an advocacy email that is active. We also always have the discuss list, but we need to pay attention to the political races this year. And we need to vet and understand what are those candidates up there speaking about? What are their political platforms? What do they stand for? And maybe more importantly this year than any other year, what won't they stand for? And please share that with us so that we can share it beyond because that part of the process is also going to be extremely important this year. The discuss list, I think, is going to be very widely used, as as I'm sure the advocacy email address will be as well. I want to uh, just for, give a, a brief example of what why this matters so much. So the Democratic Party, because the Republicans have shifted so far to the right and, and they're now just MAGA, 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 the many Republicans have left the Democrat, have left the Republican Party and have now either become independents or joined the Democratic Party. And so the right wing of the Democratic Party is quite large, and they are essentially Republicans, old style Republicans. And it's important when you are facing primary races um, for these local elections to figure out which of these Democrats is actually willing to speak up, which of these Democrats is actually going to fight against literal fascism. Which of these Democrats is going to fight for my people, for our people, for people who have the lowest voices, who have the most marginalized voices? Which of these Democrats are the ones who are going to stand up and speak out and do the right thing? Because not all Democrats are created equal. And that's why the primaries matter. That's the example I want to make there. Thank you so much, Tristan and Gabriel. Very important points. So let's talk about the centerpiece for this year, which is Jacksonville. Uh, Gabriel, if you can give us a brief update on the relations between BPI and the American Council of the Blind, where we are now, um, and I'll talk about the actual boots on the ground stuff in Jacksonville. 
after that, Gabe? Sure. So we have, uh, like I said earlier, been collaborating. Um, and uh, we, Anthony and I, were there uh, in Jacksonville for the your board meeting for the American Council of the Blind. And um, some of the things that have been um, partnerships that have been secured and forged have been, uh, for example, the hotel, the venue. We uh, met with uh, the um, events and activities manager. Um, Diane assured us that um, the Hyatt is is a uh, is is a safe space for anyone and everyone. That we are welcome. Um, Anthony, you've also established communications with uh, the people who manage the airport, Jacksonville Airport. Um, yes, I, and I am so very fond of saying this statement. The TSA uh, manager for the Jacksonville Airport, and I quote, said, we are not about dragging people out of bathrooms. Everybody is safe here. I loved that statement. I've said it a multitude of times because I think that that sums it up. Yeah, because we're trying to cover the key places where people will have to, you know, go through, which is the airport and the hotel. Uh, but we've also expanded to, uh, like we mentioned earlier, connections with uh, the mayor's office, um, connections with local LGBTQ plus advocacy organizations like Jasmine, who are going to not only give us volunteers, um, but also who are um, going to give us uh, a list of uh, businesses if we are going to have any events uh, off-site uh, and businesses that um, are worthy of um, supporting with, with our business, with our dollars, uh, like LGBTQ and uh, Black-owned businesses. Um, we've also... Uh, guarantees for the tour. Uh, ...with Janet Dickelman and Rhonda Trott, and they uh, both brought to every venue that they visited that is going to be a tour in uh, Jacksonville in 2024 that they have uh, a policy uh, in terms of respecting and being a safe environment for every and all minority, including uh, African-Americans, sexual uh, identity, sexual orientation, um, transgender community, and they have all given us assurances that everyone is welcome and safe. And the general message that we've been getting is, you know, some people say it more loudly and more kind of vocally. Some people say it more tacitly, but still the message is a resounding, we do not subscribe by any of that garbage <laughs> coming from the legislator and the governor. We are a tourist city. We are growing. We're diverse. And we welcome and embrace everyone. So I want to jump in now and talk about Jacksonville itself. When we first started reaching out, there um, were two incidents in a very short period of time in the city of Jacksonville that had the mayor's office scrambling a little bit. So it took a while for us to connect. And, and I started personally getting nervous. Um, once we Once we started establishing those connections... It became apparent very quickly um, how um, open and receiving to the message that we would like to put, you know, we'd like to put out there, how open and, and, and welcoming Jacksonville, the city is for it. Um, we originally envisioned this 
uh, event happening along one of the river, one of the riverside parks, not far from the hotel, so that it wouldn't be too long of a walk or a quick little Uber ride. Um, but when we sat down with Dr. Ahmed, and just a, a sidebar story, things were going on. Um, our plane, unfortunately, was delayed. Uh, we were meeting with him on the afternoon that we were flying into Jacksonville. He had another meeting as well. He came to the hotel at 7 p.m. Uh, that evening to sit down with us and stayed with us for an almost, you know, almost an hour and a half, kind of doing the pre-mapping of of how this was going to work. Uh, and the first message, so for, I think that, you know, that above and beyond, you know, kind of speaks to that was the perfect opportunity to blow us off at that point. It was a Friday, you know, the next day is not a work day. So if, you know, if they really don't want to be involved, they can say, oh, you missed the meeting, you know, call us when you're back in Jacksonville. Um, having said that, one of the first things that Dr. Ahmed put on the table was, please come and do it. It's only about 10 minutes from the hotel. Please come and do it at the park at City Hall for a bunch of reasons. First and foremost, the visibility of doing it in front of a City Hall is a lot better than doing it at a, at a park along along the river, which is a beautiful space. Absolutely. Second, we can have this full support of the sheriff's office, which means we don't have to hire outside security. We don't have to look for volunteers on the security front. Um, that is all being coordinated through the mayor's office with us for us. Um, and that I think Gabriel, you know, I don't know if, if it was the same moment for you. Um, people say my heart dropped, my heart jumped and started like doing a little dance in my chest. Like, okay, yes, yes, yes. And yes, this is exactly what we want um, mm -hmm. and need. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I was I was expecting uh yes, we have our support. Yes, let us know what you need. But no, the the full involvement it it, it, it was a different level. It was. And so we have settled on a date. Uh Leah mentioned it earlier. We're going to do it on Monday afternoon during convention. Um Monday the 8th. The event itself will begin at 1 p.m. We estimate it to go until 4 p.m., um, but depending on the level, the number of speakers and the the level of excitement, I'll call it, at the event itself, um, we're given full assurances that, you know, we're not going to be kicked out of the park at 4, so if it goes to 5 or 5.30, it's all going to be cool. Um, the mayor herself, barring any political action that she may have to take, will be speaking at the rally. Dr. Ahmed will be speaking at the rally. Um, Anna, if at all possible, will be coming down to speak. And we're in conversation with the Democratic um, representatives in Jacksonville for who will be speaking. We are reaching out to HRC. Um, but the first planning meeting, at least as far as convention and advocacy combined in the new year, will also be what organizations, what speakers, who do we want to partner with? And we made... Um, we made a decision, I guess you can call it, that yes, we are a blind LGBT pride, but this is an a, this is an opportunity to look at it from a higher perspective, from a higher plane, and invite speakers from any marginalized um, community group. Um, we're going to talk about book bans. You know, we're going to leave the space open that anyone that feels stepped on or pushed aside 
will have an opportunity to to have their voice heard at the rally. Um, so, of course, the you know the centric for BPI is our issues, but as Tristan said before, you know if we only I'm I'm paraphrasing how I heard it. If we only focus on our issues, then what's going to happen? You know, when there's no one, you know, three, two, one. If we open our focus to focus on all of the marginalized communities and issues out there, we are only going to be stronger. Um, we do Solidarity. not have a date. Solidarity, baby. Absolutely. We do not have a date as of yet, but it will be in early January where we're going to meet um, as a combined group, uh, convention planning and advocacy. So all of these meetings, all of our committee meetings are open. If you are a BPI member, you are more than welcome to join. If you are not a BPI member currently and feel strongly and want to hear where we are or offer some suggestions, opinions, or, or a little bit of your time, you know, I, I use that two hour model, but if you have 45 minutes and, and you want to give it, we'll take it. Um, you are welcome. Those, the uh, invites will be put out and through all of our various social media channels, as well as our internal discussion and WhatsApp groups. Um, and I think Tristan, we can safely say that we'll come back here also. And, 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 and pride, yeah, yes. And pride connection. So, yeah. I, I think we've done a pretty good job of laying out what the advocacy committee will be up to in the next year, what we need and what we're hoping people will, you know, sign up to be part of. Um, give us some closing thoughts as, you know, as we close out 2023 and go into this very, very important year for both our affiliate and, and our country. Well, um, I have to say, uh, again, as a person who is a student of history, um, we are in a parallel right now to the mid to late 1930s. Those of you who maybe haven't uh, studied history much, um, we are we are currently living through um, a sort of high speed replay of. Mm -hmm some of the some of the events that occurred both in the united states and abroad in the late 1930s and um history does tend to cycle every 80 to 100 years it does tend to cycle so um it it is important to stand together against the forces who would seek to uh, rule us with an iron fist and say, we will not. The answer is no. You will not do this. And I have to say that when I recently heard two different um, rally speeches by the <clears throat> individual who calls himself Trump, who uh, referred to anyone who opposes him as, a, and I'm quoting, vermin, and who then 
and another speech floated the idea of creating camps for people who oppose him. That was absolutely chilling. And I want people to understand that this fight in 2024 is possibly the biggest fight of our generation. We must rise to that occasion. And I intend to be there. And I intend to add my voice. And I intend to loudly and proudly say absolutely not on my watch. And I hope that there are enough people who will join us in that fight so that we can tell our children and our grandchildren that we won. Buckle up, friends. It's going to be a really interesting ride. Thank you, Tristan. Gabriel? Well, what I want to say is pay attention. Um, Anthony, like you're fond of saying, when people, especially politicians, people who are running for office, when they tell you who they are, believe them. Uh, vote with your brain and listen. Listen to everything that they say and everything that they stand for or they don't stand for. And see how that aligns with your principles, your values, and those of your loved ones and how that's going to affect. And don't undermine the power or the impact of any race, starting from your city council members up to the White House. Pay attention and please do research. Do your own research and vote, but vote wisely. Watch what they do. Watch what they do. They can say a lot of pretty things. Watch what they do. You know, Tristan, everything you just said is absolutely on point and very correct. The idea of putting anyone in a camp, if we have not learned at this point in life, um, that camps are <laughs> the road to destruction. Um, but having said that, let's remind people that Jacksonville is also going to be a lot of fun. Gabriel, you're going to be putting on wine tastings, right? Absolutely. And we have a very, very special theme. As of last year in Schomburg, we started, well, this year in Schomburg, we started a collaboration with Cooper's Hawk, which we intend to continue. But it's going to have a, a very interesting twist this year. We're, I'm not, I'm, I'm, this is just a teaser. So stay tuned. Um, there's going to be wine tastings and some other fun events as uh, BPI is known for putting together. Absolutely. I'm going to bring you to the... A drag queen mixer, a drag queen mixer. That is going to be so much fun. Um, always, we have our dare to share and and many other great events. So, and I will be putting as... on a, and I will be putting on a three D an, another three D audio excursion, which have um, become a staple of every convention, uh, not only for BPI but ACB in general. Thank you, Tristan. Absolutely. And I would like to I would like to invite people to to realize that even outside of convention we will have so much fun along the way this struggle may be passionate and it may be tough sometimes but the relationships the friendships and the the um uh, the camaraderie that we build will be just as awesome and it will be just as as fulfilling and I think we're gonna have we're gonna have some fun along the way. We're gonna have some fun. I I I I really feel that. I think this is gonna be 
um, an intense year, but a good year. So I'm I'm going to close this out with both a personal perspective and an organizational perspective. Um, everything that the co-chairs just spoke about is absolutely what I feel in my heart as well. But I do believe, as Tristan brought up earlier, there are different levels of passion and there are extroverts and introverts. So if you're in a space where you don't much want to use your voice, but you want to use your other talents, there are spaces and places and hopefully in the partnerships that we build in this year, throughout this year, we'll have other spaces to offer our members to go. But whatever space you come from and through, we welcome you into the BPI family. Um, I, I hope every single person who hears this podcast plans on voting in this coming year. I think it is very important whichever side you end up voting on, it is still very important that we that we exercise that right because it seems to be that they want to take that right away from us. They want to make that right, they want to make that process invalid so that we don't even need it or want it anymore. And that's so very dangerous. From an organizational standpoint, this is the year, you know, a few years ago, BPI, I won't say was teetering out, but it was on a precipice whether or not we would be effective going forward. And with a strong leadership team, um, a great president presidency under Gabriel, that has been, the torch has been passed to Leah. Um, we brought BPI back to a space where we matter, we're being heard. And so you know, hearkening back to to the earlier part of the conversation, whether it's 45 minutes, two hours, you know, or two days out of a month, whatever you can offer us, we need. This is the year. This is the space. This is the time where every single thing we do is going to matter and matter greatly. So please consider where you can offer yourself to Blind Pride International. Our membership email is pretty easy. It's membership at blindlgbtpride.org. Our site is pretty darn easy as well. It's bpi.gay. If you already know by listening to this podcast, you want to be a part of us, then it's bpi.gay slash join. And um, you will see us on our socials and through all our internal discussions throughout the year. Everyone have a very safe and happy holiday season. However you choose to celebrate, whatever you choose to celebrate, or if you decide to sit out of celebrating at all. We love you. Thank you for being a part of the BPI family. You've been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind Pride International, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Please check us out at blindlgbtpride.org. Dreamers and me.